an honor to be up here in front of all of you. And uh, having been born and raised here, it's such a blessing uh, to see everyone who comes and sacrifices so much time to take off what normally people do on vacation time for a God's festival. And I took that for granted as a young man for many years, and I appreciate the sacrifices you all make to take your week's vacation, which is typical among the economic scenario we are living in today, to not go on a special vacation elsewhere, but to celebrate God's holy feasts. So it's really an honor to be in front of all of you, and uh, I'll try to get through this as fast as possible without sounding crazy and without, uh, well, you, I wrote it all down because, texted it all down rather, and uh, I'll try to stay on topic, but I'm not going to just wing it because uh, my mind does not work that way in, uh, to stay on topic and, and make sense. So my title is uh, Strive to be Better, a general sub-description, but an easy topic. It's not a complete title yet. It has a couple more words in it further in my talk that will complete it. After going through my thoughts on what to talk about in this world of seemingly never-ending topics, I decided on one I couldn't quit coming back to as it's been on my mind for a few years, and there will likely be some sensitive things I'll say for some people. But I think generally, I think generally it's a good topic to be talked on. Most of it has to do with us married men, but lots of application for the unmarried too. There are a few points I will have to get to that I will get to shortly and try to convey in an honest way without sounding abrasive. And anything I say that seems out of line, I do apologize. Please get with me sometime personally and chat with me about it so I can be corrected if need be, because I'm still learning. That's why I've written down what I want to speak on, so I've been able to go through what I want to say over and over and over and hopefully deliver a fruitful message for you all. And as Jamie put it, a cram session, since our thing got pushed today and not yesterday, uh, and thanks to Nathan Clark's lesson and Ian's lesson, I had just really short points to put in here that you guys said that uh, my talk is kind of abstract, but it, it can be connected to their sermons, and I highly recommend you get, them, get a hold of them. Where was I? So, we hear about ways to retain the youth and whatnot, and whatnot, which the other guys will cover in more detail, I think, but I'm not, I'm considering the cause and effect of why some youth or families slowly deteriorate from a community or just the Israelite message. The abstract from what we normally hear is what I'm focusing on that may not have been thought of. Many great married men here and around have observed and learned many great things with regards to being married. I'm still learning as I go and leaning on many before who have lots of experience. But that's, why I want to, that's what I want to elaborate on in this brief time in leaning on those with lots of experience. I have this desire to bring minds to some issues that may need addressed as, uh, as an important conversation. And I am addressing each of us as individual family units, not necessarily the whole community as a whole, although these points affect the health of the community too, if not ever addressed. These issues aren't a problem as if it's a plague in our circles. It's my observation I've seen over the years in some families. A few they may be, but it's a problem for the health of any kind of community setting wherever you may be. Strive to be better is a call to, of course, all of us, but mainly the married men, but the unmarried as well, to deal with a known problem, especially within your own family, and not brush it off as if it's going to fix itself. The next generation has to take the metaphorical torch being passed down to us. It is sometimes said the burden of responsibility will eventually be passed down to us, but please don't look at it as a, look at it as a burden. 
because responsibilities give us purpose, and we men most certainly need that purpose in life, no matter what it is. I think it to be wise for all of us to strive to be better than our parents were. There's the other words to complete my title. Strive to be better than our parents were. This applies to all age groups. I know it sounds as if it means I'm saying they weren't good. Absolutely not. It means they've made mistakes that you and I can look back on, mainly if we encounter the same problem, to do either the same or not of what they did, or to avoid the problem if it, wasn't, if it was one entirely. This doesn't mean we can be perfect. No one can be. We, but we can certainly look back and set ourselves in a better position than our parents were when they were our age. We must learn what mistakes they made that did not have a good end, especially in the long run, and what would have objectively been a better thing to do or choice to make. And parents, we desperately need you to help us with this, by especially the fathers, because the way you handle your family unit will determine whether your kids have any chance or desire to ask you questions about certain areas of life or just in general opening up to you about issues. Now, I'm certainly not advocating that we unload all of our baggage to our wife and kids, if there is some or a lot. It's not what I mean. So I, I might be getting some raised eyebrows by now, but because of the typical mentality of, oh, I'm not experienced enough in this avenue, or just wait till you're older and you have, have a few kids. You're not wrong that I'm not experienced enough, especially with kids. I'm just getting started, and I know that. But yet the reason I've decided to talk about these points for you, despite any possible negative reaction, is because it's evident that some aren't quite as experienced as they think, right? Let us not think we have it all figured out. I most certainly don't. But for those who truly have lots of experience, let's try the best to teach the next generation what not to do or what detour not to take. One way to put it, and this is kind of similar to what Nathan said yesterday with uh, being on the highway, there are two lanes on this road going the same direct, desired direction. You might be further down the road in terms of years and experience, but we hopefully, as the next generation going the same direction, can possibly avoid the certain detours in life that our parents took that we know were not a good choice to make. And if we successfully do even a smidge better, guess what? We've saved ourselves time on our trip and getting a little bit further ahead in life at our age than our parents were. Imagine the cumulative effect this could have the next several generations if the older is teaching the younger to the best of their ability what to do and what not to do. Of course, we will make mistakes. That's gonna happen, but whatever mistakes we do make, hopefully we will be in a better position in life to deal with whatever that may be. Another thought, and this is especially to individual fathers, if your own family, and, or especially your wife, can't come to you with concerns or questions about a decision you've made, or maybe a little thought they might think be, might be beneficial to your decision making, then there's a serious problem you have, and guess what? Guess what? It gets out. It doesn't stay in your house, whether you think it or not. Your family can't vent to you because you abused your authority with a problem, as their authority figure. So it gets out to either other extended family members or friends. I say all of this because we are in the next torchbearers and we can't get anywhere and can't learn anything if that torch is being selfishly hidden away and slowly losing its flame because you don't think we are capable to do this, that, or the other. That's not to say the leaders here are doing that. Again, that's more, this is more specific to personal family, to family basis, where the father might be doing this to his wife, sons, or daughters. We need you as fathers, mainly to help us as your children, to strive to be better than you were at our age. To avoid mistakes you made, to help us make the same or similar good choices. And of course, there are decisions in life we have no choice but to make on our own. But you help set our foundation before we leave the home. Please make it a good one. 
I think some married men and unmarried everywhere and not just within our networks have in the last, uh, I'll just put a number on it, the last 20 or 30 years have severely overcorrected and overreacted from the issue of feminism and more recently the Me Too movement. And I've made it out to that on the extreme level that their wife is almost uh, equivalent to a useless vessel, vessel except that they are simply here for you to give you physical pleasure and just cook for you when you're hungry. Or for some single guys, uh, have made women in general out to be nothing more than a piece of property with no valid opinion whatsoever. Sort of like your toys that sit in your house or garage, just there to not give you any grief or just give you pleasure. This along with other descriptions I won't go into for lack of time, but coincidentally as a side note, usually the men who typically have the lowest opinion of women, but not always, have either rough personalities, they have a number of smaller social problems like not being able to read social cues, or even worse, they've had a one or multiple bad experiences with them, the women, in general, where they even have a kid or two and never married or ended up divorced, or it's all those combinations. And most of the time, they're the one to turn into this he-man woman hater and cry that women aren't doing this, that, and the other, and should bow down and kiss men's feet. I find it comical and sad at the same time. And in this case, I think I have two good guesses on the biggest reasons that caused this, and which is most important to you unmarried men, this applies to ladies as well, not as much as men though. Your two worst enemies on this planet when it comes to finding a good woman or man since it can go both ways are impatience coupled with an insatiable lustful desire. This is mostly a problem that men have to take control of, but it also can be a problem in the women, but not, near, but not nearly as strong of a desire like, like is to the man. Obviously, because in Genesis 3:17, and unto Adam he, God, said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. And of course, this verse is a classic uh, use that men that I just described uh, used to abuse their wives with by saying, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, as if we shouldn't listen to them. Uh, in, in certain ways. It wasn't a little apple they ate, it, it was much more serious than that. Because we men have a natural desire towards a woman all the days of our life. A burden we have to lay on the cross, we have to carry daily. First Peter 2.11, Dear, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from lust, fleshly lusts which war against the soul. It is my observation that these overcorrections, overreactions have led to a severe imbalance for too many men in these four points I'll share as quickly as I can. Uh, but as succinctly as I can. So number one, kind of covered it already, but it's talking down to your wife like they're stupid or like they never have anything good to say. Or I said before, you treat them like nothing more than your play toy. Another example of the unmarried men, young, young and full of testosterone, thinking you're hot stuff. Talking down to women or in particular the ladies you are interested in. And while at the same time talking yourself up like you are a big shot, when really in reality you likely have nothing fruitful to offer yet, at least, that she can see and observe of you without having to tell her anything. If you are ever dumb enough to say, I can get any girl I want, well, if, if she has any sense, you've lost her chance, your chance entirely with her because she knows better than to date or court. Forgive me for my language, I want to be man whore, whether you are one or not. Sorry for sounding harsh, guys, but let's get in control of this bad desire. It's part of our nature. But again, that's the part of the cross we have to bear and overcome daily, especially to the young guys my age and younger who need, need to be reminded. Be humble and don't let pride and emotion control you. 
Be patient and control the insatiable lustful desire within you and store it for when you get married. Trust me, you'll thank me later. <laughs> yes, biblically women are the weaker vessel. We all know that, but that does not mean they are stupid and are just a piece of property like uh, something you can simply acquire by whatever means by flashing your intellect or hands-on skills. That is an abuse of that verse, not what God intends for men to get out of that. Just a thought and a verse to add to this. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. 1 Peter 3, 7. Together, an important word. It's not just us husbands who are being heirs of the grace of life. It's a two-in-one deal, remember that. You can't do it alone. So don't act like every decision you make should be done alone. See if your wife has a seed of wisdom to share. She might surprise you. I wanted to share something real quick on a meme I just saw this last week putting together my talk that had several points to it and its title was A Good Wife's Guide. All of the points are given, given are pretty typical duties of a woman in the home but most will vary from home to home. But the problem is most of the time men marry, men marry and out their wife goes to work like him. Of course a new couple just starting out, nothing against the woman going out to, to get a wholesome job with good people with no kids in the picture yet. I'm talking about a corporate career woman, especially when you have kids, but even without them. Men don't, men don't expect the woman to be a good homemaker if you are fine with her being a lifelong corporate career type woman. I don't understand that. You can't have both. But one point which rubbed me wrong because it just reeks of arrogance and pride is don't ask him questions about his actions or question his judgments or integrity. Remember, he is the master of the house and as such will always exercise his will on fairness and truthfulness. You have no right to question him. Oh, really? <laughs> he will always exercise his will with fairness and truthfulness? That is not true. We aren't a God. We are imperfect fleshly beings that are under the authority of God. The one true God, his son, Jesus Christ, that, that should terrify us. But I don't have to tell you that like you've never heard it. Just because we obtain the great responsibility of husbandry, husbandry and fatherhood does not mean we will always be fair and true. So just wanted to share that since it came up this last week. Number two, kind of a branch of number one, not only talking down to your wife, but speaking to her with an angry tone as if she's always done you wrong. And it doesn't have to be even an angry tone. It can be just as easily degrading in a soft tone. We all know the Bible's reference in speaking anger causes just a couple of verses out of James, or one in particular. Wherefore, beloved, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. In Ephesians 5, 28 and 29, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord, the church. Anger is very acidic. It'll eat you from the inside out. If you speak to your wife in anger or with a degrading comment or tone, that's really sad and you should work on it before it makes your wife subconsciously build up an animosity toward you and will likely make her do something one day if it's gone unchecked for years. That's going to make you think it's her fault. Sometimes we don't realize how much damage we cause over time. Most of our problems are accumulation of years. And guys, we aren't going to know the reasons that built up that long. We will blame her. The woman whom thou hast gave, gave us to be with me. You remember? Adam in, Adam in the garden. We are good at passing blame or finding excuses to justify that leadership. Leadership doesn't need worked on or that it hasn't ever failed. Number three. This point is a big one to me as it's a tough, it's a tough one because of how multilayered of a problem it becomes. Forcing your wife to maintain a relationship with someone or a couple that is toxic. 
and in fact so toxic it's affecting her health. How can that possibly be, you ask? Well, it's not that complicated. Men, you can't see everything that goes on. In fact, I'd argue relationship-wise, your wife is way more observant than you are. Not always the case, but I would guess that it mostly is. And if you're forcing her to keep any relationship that, or just some relationships or one in particular that she thinks is toxic, and you somehow either don't see it or refuse to believe it, then you forcing her puts her in a very bad position. And the reality is you trust that friend or friendship in general more than your own wife, with whom you've vowed vows in front of God witnesses for the rest of your life. So now not only is your wife in a terrible position, you, her guardian, protector, defender, do not trust her. Now this is providing, of course, that your wife isn't a toxic person herself. Well, that's an easy cop-out to say if you've been there and a reason to not admit responsibilities you have as a husband. You chose to marry her, so don't be using that as an excuse. Oh, I didn't know she was toxic until after I married her. If that's another excuse you have, then that means there's not a responsibility you have as a man that you won't find an excuse to why you somehow failed it. The exceptions are around, but far and few between, because more often than not, the guy is most likely the cause, and he doesn't even realize it. Men, we are the pillar of a marriage. Imagine yourself as the pillar, we, lest we forget that we aren't the top of the authority chain. The top is Jesus Christ, who is the foundation that we as the metaphorical pillar are set on. And it's part of our responsibility to not complicate our marriage by forcing our wife, in this example, into the relationship that she truly finds to be unhealthy to her or a poor influence on you. You are making things harder than they should be just by following your selfish desires and by lending your ear to your friends or couple relations with more importance than that of your own wife's concerns. This right here forces her into a corner, and if you really chose a good woman, and this takes a good woman, she will remain in obedience to you and most likely won't buck your authority. But because your choices of your choices, if they are bad like this, your wife will gradually decline in with health issues that she can't overcome because of what you are doing to her. So husbands, I urge you, please be careful with the decisions you make, especially in marriage relations you keep. Because if you ignore her concerns, whether great or small, you are setting yourself for, for serious problems. Last one, and a short and sweet number four. Fathers, let's try not to be hypocritical, as it's already been said yesterday especially, uh, and your do not commands to your kids, especially your teens. We do not, we, do, we need to remember how much your kids and especially teenagers see. I like what Ian Diamond said yesterday, at yesterday morning's sermon, which there was a lot. We pass on values on by how we live far more than what we say. Or another way to say, the walk is greater than the talk. Nathan Clark also had a great sermon too in this similar direction. I recommend you get a hold of both of those sermons if you miss them. And I paraphrase him on one point I think was similar to your teens will be conflicted as they grow up if you tell them not to drink alcohol when you do it yourself. This is applicable to any vice you may have as a father. You are their leader. If you make a command, lead by example. Protect your cargo, as Nathan said. Don't wait to have to fix it later or lose your cargo entirely. Also, we treat our wife with how we treat our wife will affect our kids the way in the way they look at us. If you if she can't vent to you with problems, she'll vent to the teens in your household. And guess what? They will be so happy to get out the heck away from you for abusing your authority. So to wrap up, the older generations, especially those fathers who still have teens in the house, please don't forsake their concerns. They may have, they may have with you as authority figures, speaking to myself including, included, as my son and other kids will be teens one day. It takes a lot of guts to talk to your father, especially if you've made it hard to talk about things, depending upon how you handle the authority as the head of the house. But most importantly, men, let's not forsake the concerns our wives may have on occasion with us and not give more importance to others over our wife. 
truly investigate the concerns first, then go from there. Have a balance in this. She will say things and scenarios that you won't. To the singles who are not married yet, guys, don't be filled, don't be, don't be pride-filled horn dogs, please. You'll find yourself with a woman despised that, that the woman you despise because of that, and also no good woman with any sense would or should tolerate a man who's not sexually controlled himself. She will see right through you. So be humble and don't degrade yourself into an animal into animalistic behavior. So I've been all over the place, but uh, to wrap up, strive to be better than our parents. They weren't perfect, and neither will we. But the mistakes we make in life, which I hope they are few, I pray that when we make them, we have one solid foundation, thanks to our parents and those around, to be in a better position to handle those mistakes, thanks to them. And to remember, when we become husbands, not to abuse our authority as if we are the top. Jesus Christ is above us. We aren't the top. That should really humble us. Thanks for your time, and I pray that what I have said wasn't out of line and has ended up better than I anticipated to listening ears. So, thanks. I am exceedingly nervous this morning, so some grace would be appreciated. Um, so to get going here, I'm only 19 years old, so I don't really feel like it's necessarily a good thing that I'm up here. There's a lot better people I think could be up here. I, the only reason I do think I am up here is because I was talking to them when my grandpa approached us and asked us. <laughs> so I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. But um, with that being said, I do think that I have some th these things that I have to say I've been thinking about for a long time, and I think there's some good things that I've come up with. I've put a lot of time and effort into it. Um, so hopefully they'll, you guys will feel like it's me being up here is worth my time. So, <clears throat> so I've identified what I believe to be three problems that we could potentially do better in. Um, not that we don't, are, that, not that anyone specifically does bad at these now. Just, it's just three problems to watch out for. Most of you will, I think most of you should agree. Um, I think a lot of you know these problems already. So number one is parents are either too permissive or too strict. You've got to find a happy medium in, in there somewhere. If you're too permissive, you're, you just say no all the time. If you can't say no, your, parents will walk, your children will walk all over you. When you can't say no, they have no discipline. They're, there's nothing to hold them there when they are in their rebellious ages, teen, in their, when they're in their teens. When they, because everyone is, has a different level of rebellion in them. So the ones that are naturally more rebellious, they're not, if you can't tell them no when they're seven, eight, nine, if you, can't, if you cannot tell them no, they're not going to stick around when they're teens. <clears throat> um, on the opposite end of the spectrum, when you're too strict, you hold on too tight, you don't let them, let them have any freedom whatsoever, they will, they will bolt as soon as they get the slightest opportunity. When you hold on too tight, they will not stick around. I'm 19 years old and I've seen, I have at least one example of both of these. I'm sure you have many more examples that you could probably think of. <clears throat> so you need to find a good balance of trust and control. Now, I'd like to add that trust is earned, not given. You should be earning your trust from, the, from very young ages. Parents, you gotta give your children the opportunity to earn your trust. If they break your trust, you gotta start over again, but you gotta give them an opportunity to earn it. Okay, and then number two, as I'd say, is peer pressure. Now, we don't have a lot of peer pressure where I think that, that that's a huge factor, but I would say that there's enough there that this is worth being talked about. So we become the people that we hang around. So ch parents, don't let your children hang around people you don't want them to be. If they're spending all their time going and hanging out with people on the weekends that are not in your church, that's a problem. 
We have a lot of good people here. Make them hang out with those pe people. <clears throat> the great majority of our friends should be people that we are aligned with in our beliefs. Amen. Also, an added note here, if someone leaves the church, a friend, and they're saying disdainful things about the church, let it roll off your back. Get, get over it. Okay, they had a bad experience. You don't have to have that same experience. And number three, when you, high schoolers, when you're coming towards the end of your high school career, when you're making career decisions, pick a job that'll keep you local. Local. You don't need to be chasing a bag of money where it's taking you all the way across the country. You can make enough money here to support a family, have a good life, and you'll have just as good a life here as you will out there. You're going to have a more meaningful life here. <clears throat> There's lots of professions here that this church needs specifically that are here to fill. So fill those. Matthew 6, chapter 6, verse 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. If righteousness is your number one priority, everything will follow suit naturally. If money is your first priority, you'll get money, but you're not going to have anything else. So those are my three things I want to talk about specifically, and here's a possible solution that, that'll help us, I think. So in my opinion, um, having some extra opportunities for discipleship in our church would be extremely beneficial. We do, have, for the, as young men, we do have one opportunity that we have not been taking them up on, and that's the men's meetings. We should be there. There's a lot that we can learn from them. So I challenge you young men to go there. They're, they're once a month. It's not that big of a deal to take once a month out of your week, uh, to take one Saturday out of your month and go there. There's a lot we can learn, and it's very beneficial for us. But um, in discipleship, um, for example, I have an idea that I'm half seriously calling adopt an adult. <laughs> I'm not being completely serious, but I, it's sort of kind of. So we as young people, we need guidance. Our parents are set over us to guide us as we reach adulthood. With that being said, I think we can also have a lot to learn from other people that are not our parents. I challenge you to make a friend that is older than you, that has a lot of experience in life. They'll be able to pass down a lot of wisdom and life lessons. <clears throat> and so here I have a couple verses that I think support these pretty well. So Joel chapter 1 verse 3. Tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. This is plain and simple. It's a multi-generational vision for righteousness. Yeah. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou shalt commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. That is about as plain as you can get. Discipleship is necessary Parents, you can do it alone, but it's a lot easier when you have a lot of friends that you can trust, that you can have your kids go learn from. So, you young people out there that are listening, it is, us to, it is up to us to secure the future for the next generation. It's up to us to stand in the gate, and we're, you have to draw a line in the sand. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not crossing this line. Go forth and be faithful. Well, I don't really qual feel qualified to be up here, but I am, so uh, I hope that I can put forth some thoughts that will be worth your guys hearing. Um, I, don't, the, I don't feel like I uh, have at all mastered 
what I'm going to be talking about. I don't think it's something you can master. I think it's an ever, ever going conflict that you have to deal with in your life. But I think it's, um, I think it's extremely important for our, for our beliefs and our, our people. Before I get into the main thrust of the, our talk, my talk, though, I think I need to correct something I heard from the pulpit even this morning. And I think it's worthy of public correction. Um, I, it was pretty hurtful to hear it, um, but Grandpa, you recognize Zach as an Ephraimite, my older brother, and he is of the tribe of Asher, so I just wanted to correct that before the congregation. Herewith apologize. It's more than I can handle. Um, you guys can relax now. I... <clears throat> So if a, if a short talk like this is worthy of a title, I'll, I would title it, Get Out and Push. Um, I, I stole this metaphor from a business class I had a couple years back in college, and I think it applies well to a congregation and to our remnant as a whole. Um, picture, if you will, in your mind, a, a wagon or a, a cart on a road, that, uh, like a Conestoga wagon going across the Oregon Trail, except there's no horses, no, uh, there's no, no animals to pull it. It's all, it's up to us to push it or pull it. Um, sorry, that was loud. Uh, so I think we have far too many people that are not pushing and not pulling that cart forward on the road. Um, and I know that's a broad statement, but I'm worried about one issue that specifically plagues our remnant today. Um, I'm not worried about doing a little things like showing up to be part of the brass choir or bell choir or vocal choir. We have plenty of people doing that. I'm not worried about how many people we have to show up on church cleanup day before the feast of Passover. I'm not worried about how many women are in the kitchen cooking, although Miss Nancy might be. I don't know. I'm not worried about that. It seems like we have plenty of help. Um, in my view, that's the bare minimum. That's easy to do, and we should all be, we should all be participating in some way or another. Um, <clears throat> The problem I'm concerned about today is that we as a people can't get out of our own way. Um, my dad has always told me growing up and other students in our school and my brothers, um, especially males, that the world needs problem solvers. Um, and I think that's very true, um, you know, especially for boys, if you want to be, he's always told us, if you want to have a good career, go be a problem solver and you'll be valuable. Um, and I think that's very true. But more than that, I think the church and the remnant, more specifically, the people uh, we people here, we need people and we need to be people who don't create problems. Amen. We are too free with our speech. We are too, fr too free with our actions. We need people who will control ourselves. We need people who will control our tongue and don't cause problems. And again, I say that as somebody, not because I think I'm perfect. I'm far from it. I have as much work to do in this area as anybody. But we need people who don't create schisms within the remnant. And I don't think I need to quote scripture to show you guys that lying and gossip and other forms of troublemaking are wrong. But I will quote one verse, James chapter 3, verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. It defileth the whole body. I don't think, to me, that is plenty of emphasis to show that it is a major problem. And it, was, it goes back all the way to... to to the early church that it's being referenced here, even in James. So it's not nothing new. It's just part of our sin nature, but that is not an excuse to let it, to let it grow and fester in the congregation and in the body. <clears throat> we shouldn't be 
None of us should be, uh, should be the person that everybody is afraid to talk to for fear that they might offend you inadvertently. We need people with thick skin who can take a little criticism and move on humbly. And you shouldn't be the person that everyone dreads seeing for fear that you're going to go off and say something reckless. Conversely, on the other side of the issue, and I think this is just as, as important, if you are on the receiving end of poor treatment in one way or another, get over it. Forgive the offender. How many times does Christ say that we should forgive our offender? 70 times 7. For you math whizzes out there, how many times is that? 490, that's right. I don't, think, I don't think any of us are going around keeping a tally on our notepaper saying, oh, he offended me 390 times, he's got 100 more to go, oh, he's at 170, he's got so many to go. And even if we were doing that, I think Christ is speaking metaphorically when he says 490 times. We should, ever, we should always be forgiving throughout our life. The church body will be better for it, and believe it or not, so will you. Remember that phrase in the Lord's Prayer. I think it's easy to overlook it, but it says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Christ commands us to say that in the prayer that he taught us to pray. That is a scary prayer request. How many of us are willing to, have, are willing to let Christ forgive us to the same measure that we have forgiven our offenders? Probably not a lot of us, but we're commanded to pray that way. So we better make sure that we are doing our best to forgive. None of us are perfect, and we're always going to fall short, and we can't be as perfect as Christ in our forgiveness, but we can strive for that. Amen. Beyond that, you should be here in this remnant because you hold to a certain set of beliefs and be, because you think God is working in this body, not because you get along with every Tom, Dick, and Harry, because that's not going to last forever. If, all, if the only reason you're here is because you think you get along like peaches and cream, as my grandpa would say, and know everybody just treats you wonderfully, get ready for a rude awakening because it's going to end. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And you're going to do it to somebody else too, so don't think you're better than them. You may not know it, but you've offended somebody just like I have, and it's up to all of us to forgive and move on. How many Israelite believers do you think are left in the world today that know what we believe and know? Optimistically, maybe a few million. I lean that it's probably quite a bit less than that. But whatever it is, even if it was 100 million, we would still be outnumbered in this world drastically, hugely. We are too few in number to be cutting each other off over petty arguments that we can't forgive. So, going back to my analogy, I think we need to remove the dead weight and get out, get out of the cart and start pushing it or pulling it down the road and not weigh it down because of our own, our own lack of accountability and forgiveness. So, in short, I want to leave you with this. Build your belie fellow believers up. Don't be dead weight. Get out of the cart and start pushing. Thank you. I want to thank y'all for the opportunity to speak before you. I'm uh, rather a rather newcomer to the Israel message. I was not raised this way. Um, I came to it about a year and a half ago. And uh, as a newcomer, there's something that I'm seeing among the youth that is partly on them, partly on the parents. Um, so if I step on any toes, I apologize. But that is to be able to defend what you believe. Not necessarily explain it, <clears throat> and you're firm in your faith, but to defend it. To be able to say, no, you're wrong, and this is why. Because, Peter says, to be ever ready to give a defense for the faith that is within you. I think there are two things that 
give us the ability to defend what we believe. The first one is set your affections on things above, not on things in the earth. If we're too busy spending our times playing video games or watching a football game rather than studying the word or studying sound theology by people such as Pastor Dan, on or there he is, people as Pastor Dan and other great men of the faith that have really good things to say, we're wrong to do that. If we know the stats of our favorite MLB player or NFL player, for whatever that's worth, rather than scripture, we've got a problem. We've got a real problem. If we can't, if we have no love for that which we believe, then how in the world are we going to be able to defend it? So we go from there and now where it's study to show thyself approved that the man of God may not be ashamed. I personally absolutely love research. Um, I was able to read the King James Bible at the age of three, uh, thanks to the efforts of my mother, and uh, actually believe, I'm not joking when I say this. Uh, when I was a kid, my parents used the freedom to read as a punishment when, the merit, when it merited the crime. So what that means is they would take away the freedom to read. I just had to sit there and just sit and do nothing. <laughs> I know that's hard to believe. I, I understand that. But that's how much I love to read. And I get it. Not everybody loves to read. Some people have a physical dis difficulty with reading. I understand that. That's fine. But as much as you are able, study to show yourself approved. Understand why you believe the way you do. And not just the theological parts of it. There's historical reasons why we believe who we are. There are economic and sociological things that we can be studying because the, the law of God is not just a moral thing. Yes, it says do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. Yeah, I get that. But there's also a, commu a communal structure, an economic structure to how a Christian community should be built and run. And those things should eventually, as more people understand and start to live them in their lives, they put, they start to build it. And eventually it takes over the world for Christ. And when he comes back, we'll be as ready as we possibly can. So if we set our affections on things that are above, set our affections on his word, on his truth, and study his word, because we love his word, then we will be able to go out in the world and when someone comes up and says, hey, why do you, do, why do you not eat pork? I get, I get a lot of ribbing for that at work because I don't eat pork anymore. Uh, there's a reason for that. It's in Leviticus 11, we read it today. The swine is unclean. Why is that? God said so. It's as simple as that. God said so, so that's what I'm gonna do. And you know, if you, get, if you get picked on for that, so be it. Christ died for us. If we can't suffer a little bit for him, uh, we're sunk. So set your affections on things above, study to show thyself approved, and may the name of the mighty Redeemer of Israel be praised. Thank you. Amen.